activate your energy. Welcome to the Activated Authors Podcast, a show where we distill the core principles of what it takes to become a happy, healthy, and productive author, no matter what stage of the journey you're at. I'm your host, Daniel Wilcox. I'm an international best-selling author, as well as an author coach, speaker, and creative entrepreneur. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student of all things productivity, psychology, and human behavior. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Without further ado, let's dive in. What is up, Activators? And welcome back to another episode of the Activated Authors Podcast, and officially welcome into the year 2023. My name is Daniel Wilcox, joining you every single week, and here with me is... Samantha Frost, hello, that's me. Hello. I'm, doing little, I'm doing a little 2023 workout. I love it, I love it. We made it, and obviously <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't the first episode of 2020, mm-hmm. but it's the first Dan and Sam appearance of 2023, so how's it rocking? Give us your breakdown of Christmas. Show us your breakdancing moves. What did you get for presents? Were you good? Did Santa come? How did it go? Okay, right. Well, breakdown for Christmas. What did I get for presents? Stuff and things, and I liked them. Yes, um, yes. What was the next question? Huh. Did Santa come? Y- yes, and he enjoyed it very much. And there was only <laughs> minimal staining on my sheets. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> My, my tooth is still broken, uh, but I do intend to get it fixed at some point. Um, I got COVID, still got it. Um, twisted my ankle. My son threw up everywhere on the first day back at school. So we couldn't go back to school on the first day back at school. And at 4 a.m. in the morning when I was suffering with COVID, I was on our hands and knees, scrubbing vomit up from the carpet. Um, and the happy new year. <laughs> Oh, cool. Ditto. So that that that's making me feel good about it. Oh, what about you? Tell me everything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> as well with um, yeah, I have COVID also currently. Um, so I don't think it's affected my voice. But if for any reason I sound a bit strange, that's probably why. Um, I was saying to you before we we're recording, like I feel fully functional. I just feel a bit ill. Um, yeah. Lucky, with- I did not get that. I just got fully dead. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a bit nicer than like, so last year I had like a full day of wipeout, which I do think like, I, I, I'm i kind of attributing that to COVID, but I do think also it was like post finishing work wipeout that I normally have. But I didn't get that this year, which like is one of the biggest wins that I've had in like half a decade is the fact that I've managed to like get into a Christmas and not wipe myself out from overworking. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll take that as a win. Um, I did not catch a ditto over Christmas. Um, I did catch a couple of ball shinies. I'm very happy with. Um, cool. People wondering, this is Pokemon Go. Feel free to mm-hmm. message us your friend code, and we will add you, and we will play along on the Pokemon Go's with you. We 100 will. That's that's not a, that's not a uh, that's that's not a false promise. Nope. I need more friends. <laughs> Just generally, generally. Um, and yeah, no, it's uh, it was it was an amazing Christmas break. It was it was nice to see family. I got to spend like five days. Um, over Christmas, or the actual Christmas period with my son, which I didn't get to do last year because I had COVID, though I did not take that for granted. Um, and yeah, basically, I don't, I don't know where to go with it. All, all, all of the things, all of the time, we're in 2023. Um, I'm trying to think of what to go in the updates because this is the first one back. I'm a little bit brain fried. Both yeah. okay. What is, I'm going to put you on the spot, what is your key takeaway? My key takeaway is uh, that Catching a ditto when you have to, a ditto, a ditto, um, when you have to walk into town to top up your gas, because uh, like energy prices, you all know, um, 
on a twisted ankle um is the best thing that can possibly happen to you <laughs> so I, was feeling oh, I was feeling pretty i'm sorry for myself I'm not gonna lie i was like limping at limp face just going up into town i caught the ditto and i literally <laughs> <laughs> i screenshotted it and sent it to dan and i was like now i know that 2023 is going to be my year because i've been trying to find a ditto for quite a while a month a month for months. So my key takeaway is that you know there is there's 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 good in the bad. <laughs> just to remember for me, just a reminder for myself to look for the good in the bad. I really do have COVID. My brain really is a little bit uh, fragmented, and between you and me, that is saying something. <laughs> but yeah, that's How about you. I was so excited for you when you called that ditto, like when I got that screenshot, because it has been, I think probably around, it could potentially be like July, August time. Like for people that have never played, you get little challenges on your game and one of them is to catch a ditto and ditto hides itself as other Pokemon and they are rare as it is. So you basically have to catch everything until you find one. Yep. Um, but yeah, huge, huge. It's hiding in a lilip. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. All that we're Lillip. wondering. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know that I have a particular key takeaway. I think over Christmas- Not good enough. Well, no, I think over Christmas, um, I've allowed myself just to enjoy the things I want to enjoy. Um, I am working through the final, I, I say backlog, like it's an administrative task. It's all self-choice um, of books that I've kind of agreed to read for other people. And I'm kind of just allowing myself at this point to be a bit more free with my consumption of of media, of film, of TV, of books and all that kind of stuff. And just in, in, enjoy the role of story again. So um, I've been working for a lot of like nonfiction. I've got my way through a bunch of different fiction. I'm finding myself very, very pulled into the direction of cosmic horror at the minute. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which for people who are unaware was kind of founded by Lovecraft, problematic mm -hmm. author. His writings are amazing. Um, but it's all kind of like based on space, existentialism, like things that can't be explained. And it's all very big uh, and abstract a lot of the time, um, which is one of those things that I know I've spoken to you about, but like in the times where I've just written for me, my stories have mm -hmm. leaned that way anyway. And it's mm -hmm. kind of nice to be reading other people's work and being like, oh, I get this. Like, this is kind of like, it just feels familiar. Um, and like, I've kind of, you know, been on the journey of narrowing down my niche for years. I've gone from, you know, dark fiction, post-apoc, horror, urban fantasy, horror, um, and to kind of be like, I don't want to box myself in as a particular author, but like to know that there's, an area where I can push my books and market and reach people is is very comforting. Um, and the other takeaway as well is that like, if I stop doing all the things I think I should be doing and allow myself to do the things that I want to do, I end up doing the things that I know that I should be doing, which is a really nice feeling to have, mm -hmm. to know that like, when you take the pressure off, the things you want to do are the things you're already doing. So over the past few few weeks, I've not like worked lots, but I've been diving in and out of doing lots of different things like eagle eyed viewers who are watching on the YouTube will notice uh, some differences to our uniform. Um, me and Sam are now sporting the brand new Activated Authors logo, Papal, which looks like a play symbol. That is a book that is also a lightning bolt. Yeah, yeah. Pretty boss. I'm very, very happy with it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've gone through. Duke, mate. Duke is Duke. Um, but I've basically just been going through uh, tweaking a bunch of stuff on Activated Authors. I'm overhauling the website for the Daniel rebrand um, as it was coined by the community. Um, but I'm trying to make everything on the website as easy for people to, to find and follow as possible. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it. I'm just like, we, I, I put together an article, um, a couple of articles over, over mm -hmm. Christmas at the end of the year roundup 
Um, one that was kind of my top things that I've enjoyed for this year, including books, films, all that kind of stuff, albums. Um, and another one that was all the wins from the Activated Authors community. And it's just really, really rewarding to see the impact yeah. that this group is having on people. Because um, it's very easy to get into the thick of it, to get into the weeds and just to not see it. Mm-hmm. Forget about it or just to take it for granted. But when you compile everything and put it all together, it's really, really um, astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I'm doing at the minute as, as well. If I get the chance to use a word that I don't get often a chance to use, I've been throwing that into conversation. So be prepared for some superfluous word choices. <laughs> I shall do my best to be flabbergasted at your vocabulary. Flabbergasted. Hmm, I am flabbergasted. Ra- I am rather verbose. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think um, with that, let's get into the wins from the community. So mm. kind of on that on that vein, I do want to go through and just call out some of the wins that we have had from the Activated Office community as a whole over the last, well, throughout 2022. So um, these are some of the big wins from Activated Authors in general, mm. and they include uh, the fact that we raised or drove the campaign to raise almost £15,000 for Ukrainian refugees. Um, and we had hundreds and hundreds of authors from across 40 different countries collectively write over 2 million words in a single week, which was... Yeah, hot fucking warming. Beyond. And impressive. Yeah. This, uh, the Activated Authors podcast, this very podcast you're listening to, um, launched in February of 2022. It was an extension of the Great Right Share podcast. Um, but over the, well, over 2022 has generated over 10,000 downloads uh, in its first year, which again That's is... so lovely. Yeah, it's awesome. So thank you, everyone who listens, who comes back regularly, who has subscribed, who shares, all that kind of stuff. Um, we saw over 100 authors pass through the online community this year, some joining mm-hmm. us for a few limited run programs, others staying for the whole year through. Um, all of them gems. All of them absolute fucking diamonds. <laughs> um, for the third year in a row, we achieved 80% success rate with the 50K Writing Camp, uh, helping writers move towards writing and finishing their books. Um, and there will be more of those coming this year so keep an eye out for that mm-hmm. uh our core team grew larger sam joined us as a co-host to this show and uh emmy beat and eden collier joined us as activated authors ambassadors and helping out behind the scenes with zooms with accountability with lots of cool stuff um which again wasn't that really genuinely wasn't something that i saw happening in 2022 but like i'm very very thankful they did hey, i didn't see anything that happened in 2022 happening in 2022 <laughs> you're good uh-huh. Um, and we ran two successful mastermind cohorts helping authors find agents putting themselves forward for award nominations and getting their author business off the ground um, which is mahusive mm-hmm. it might sound like i've run out of things to say but i haven't because there's more stuff there's so more stuff there's there's much more stuff so these are directly from members of the community um replace the i as i'm saying it with the person of choice in your head whichever avatar you pick you're probably wrong as to how this person looks but that's not the point so um in terms of how authors have uh, progressed their author career uh i'm just going to read it as it is i wrote 10 books this year and i published five i applied for a writer in residence position even knowing i was up against a pretty major competition which is huge I am now working with an educational publisher on my nonfiction work. Massive. Mm-hmm. I finished the first draft of a reader magnet as well as book one and book two in a new series. I found my first mm-hmm. ever beta reader. I changed genres and I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. This year, I finally finished the infamous book four. That one's massive. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's been a, a long time coming. Um, and I am redacting names just because I haven't yes. asked permission to use any of them. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm going in the eye. Uh, about the community itself, um, we've got writings. Oh my God, do I love having regular sprint time with other writers? 
Mm. Got writing sprints. Damn it. I love those evenings and occasional afternoons with all the amazing peeps. Mm -hmm. And then I've got, for the first time ever, I felt like I actually belong somewhere with people who understand what it means to tease out the strange, wonderful, sometimes terrifying shit from my beautiful mind and put it onto the page. That makes me so happy. I'm still not done. Mindset. (laughs) (laughs) And the hits keep coming, coming. That's all I can do for copyright reasons. Go on. I think the biggest win this year is actually believing I can make a go of it as a writer. I went into 22 wanting to be a writer. I'm going into 23 as a writer. Pause for effect. That makes me sexy a little bit. Go on. Yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I started telling people with shaky confidence that I am a writer, business owner, and multi-passionate creative. I'm proud of that. Yep. I think the biggest and uh, the best and biggest win is being part of this group has helped me build back a lot of confidence that got squashed when I was working outside of my home. That's something we get a lot is like people mm-hmm. um, come back to their love of writing and discover other people that love writing and suddenly go like, I'm allowed yeah. to do this. Yeah. Oh my God, like nothing stopping me except myself. <laughs> that was incredible. Thank you. Yeah. And then the last one, mindset, I'm still writing, which I'm super proud of myself for, which again, mm-hmm. that- uh we've got under the 50k writing camp stuff and NaNoWriMo uh, I won NaNoWriMo again but I learned more about myself as a writer and how to balance my personal life I smashed NaNo which isn't something I've ever done before alone but that changed because of the XP authors community I smashed NaNo I won NaNo again Mm-mm-mm. and then my final category that I pulled out for these is health um which again is like paramount to all of this author business um health i gave myself permission to slow down and stop when i needed to put me first like Ooh. i i really want to like I'll, I'll do the next one and then i'll really highlight these because this i think is some of the things that i'm most proud of mm-hmm. um, recognize the starting signs of burnout and gave myself permission to just stop for a while mm-hmm. the health combined with the mindset stuff like all the rest is fucking fantastic and i really genuinely love every single one of these that we've read out um, yeah or i've read out um and that wasn't a dig <laughs> but health and mindset like that is kind of really is the core of, of what activated authors is. It's the whole reason yes. they started. It's the stuff that really like um, fires up my passion. It's the, the thought behind the word activate, because I think people see activate and they might be caught up in the world of like the 10,000 <laughs> writers, the people that publish like a book a month, which like arguably if you're doing that, you are activated in some way. Yeah. Um, but I really do think that they are more the minority than the majority. And we get a lot of people coming to the group and they're like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm a slow writer. I only managed like mm-hmm. hundred words in that sprint. And I like, no, that's normal. That is normal. Like, I am a freak. I will say that you're a freak because you can write fast. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's genuinely not the norm. And I think being in a group that, you know, you're surrounded by people who are of the same ilk as you, um, they support you in that, they, they share that. And just identifying those moments where life is going to put you on pause life is going to test you and you need to step back and like obviously we want to be writing all the time and we want to be creative and we want to put stuff out in the world but the reality is that's just not a thing that's going to happen every single goddamn day of the year like people who or the people i know that are very very diligent and are of the very very high performers even they do like six days a week and they'll have a day off mm-hmm. take that time and they'll be very very disciplined and when they say they write every day they write for two hours every day and then that is their cutoff time like yeah um so those oh. things go on sorry i was just gonna say we're not machines Mm-mm. like with the advent of kind of indie publishing in the way that it is now i think they're really you know there really became pressure on this model of write fast publish fast and mm-hmm. keep going and the truth is for most people that is not a sustainable business model mm-hmm. like 
there are some people that can just write fast and do and that is and you know that is that's fine for them and 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 you know and they can get books out that quickly but for most people that's not the case and I think because like this fast publishing model um particularly in things like um uh kindle unlimited um is is particularly rewarded by like voracious readers that like kind of that kind of thing a lot of the time you see those writers kind of you know they earn money they they're interviewed and things and then it becomes this <clears throat> idea that that is the way mm-hmm. and the truth is there's so many other ways you you know you don't have to kill yourself yeah to, yeah, to yeah i am um, i won't i won't say who it is but an author friend of mine uh she writes thirteen thousand words a day monday mm-hmm. um which is it's phenomenal it's exceptional anyway but there's a couple of factors that make that possible is the fact that when she began doing that her husband stepped back and became full-time parent for the child and you know she's at home but she will work from i think it's eight o'clock until six o'clock just writing and it's what 10 hours Mm -hmm. hours a day obviously probably a bit of a lunch break um but you know her her life is built around a way that she can do these words she fucking loves what she's writing Mm -hmm. she's passionate about cracking out drafts and that is what she does or you know this was a couple of years ago so it might have might change this point but like that was how that is built like the life was built in a way to make that happen yes um i'm sure he won't mind me saying but like jonathan yanez there was a certain point where like i asked him how he manages to like stay so disciplined do xyz and it's because his wife helped him run the business they work Mm -hmm. as a pair so it's not just yourself which for many of us it is like i remember when i first began it was just me in a room um focusing yeah. on my business like my partner at the time she had her own job like we obviously had to like raise Bailey and everything else mm-hmm. it was me it was me alone and so being able to do the stuff that he does um yeah. would not have been able to do and no. at the same time he is full-time mm-hmm. and yeah I think yeah. that's true for most people like I'm a single parent mm-hmm. um my kid is 12 so I have to make sure you know that he's awake and that he goes to school and that he is fed and homework and all of the the stuff that comes along with just, you know, looking after a kid. Yeah. And then I have to keep myself alive. You know, I, I can't, I, I don't have 10 hours a day to, not that that would suit me, but say, say it did. I don't have that time and most people don't. So mm-hmm. I think it's just that thing of, I saw that, um, I showed it to you, the Mel Robbins. Yes. Real. And I'll pop it in. I'll find it and I'll pop it on the Instagram um, where she's saying people need to stop comparing themselves to single people or people that have like a team around them or like, you know, finances and stuff, because most, most advice and things that we hear from people in the kind of the self-help self-development space um, that gets to us, because obviously these people are big now um, we're not tweaking and and applying to our lives yeah we're trying to put it in directly and as joe lysett said yes we do all have the same 24 hours as beyonce but not the resources sandra (laughs) (laughs) absolutely true if i had like just infinite money and a team to like i don't know clean my house and cook my meals and to like do my shopping and you know xyz i have so much more time to be able to be more productive but yeah you have to work within your means um And I do think that's probably a very, very apt point to say now, because um, I know in the last podcast, it might have been the one before, I mentioned that I was working on the Activated Authors Matrix or the mm-hmm. Automation Matrix. 
Um, it is done. It is finished. It is now up on the line. Um, and so if you want to, well, I'll explain what it is first. So the uh, author activation matrix is basically a self-diagnostic tool to help you identify where in your life you can make small steps to improve where you are excelling. And just to give you a clearer picture on what's going on, um, it's a tool that was very, very impactful on myself when I came across like the basic concept behind it a few years ago because it takes into consideration like are you drinking are you sleeping um, where is the joy are you seeing family like, it's all these different sort of concepts that are very very core to you as a human mm-hmm. remember why authors are human yeah um and at the time it was it was a case of like I don't know if all the scores were quite high but then you'd see that your sleep was low you'd be like right my next smallest step is to focus on sleep if I can bring my sleep up everything else as a whole lifts itself up yes so I took that basic concept and rewrote it and adapted it in a way that it would work for authors mm-hmm. and so there's like areas in there for health for social for authors and it's a two-minute exercise you literally just download the sheet from the website circle some numbers and um, there is an online calculator that you can use um, to make things a lot easier and it just helps you identify what you probably should be working on next yeah. um, and it's, it's again, like very much the core of what this Activated Authors is, because I think we go into, or well, every podcast I listen to that is about authors, it's all about like, how do I write more? How do I publish more? What is marketing? How do I sell more? But there's no, like, am I eating well? Mm-hmm. And in eating well, your mind then works well. Are you sleeping? Are you drinking? Are you seeing family? Are you taking time off? You know, like what areas of your business do you feel you're doing well in and what don't you? And where can you improve that? And the whole concept is like, in the end, you get an overall score. I think it's out of 260 in total. And say, like, and I will be honest, like, the first time I did this diagnostic myself was a couple of weeks ago. And I think I got around, um, actually, I might be able to find it. Uh, no, because then that'll take time out. Um, I think I, I got around, <laughs> so not the highest, because I know there are certain things that are working on. And you have to be honest with yourself, because it's a tool for you. Um, but the idea is that in the course of one month, can you bring your score up five points? It's not a whole lot. It's like one in each area. <laughs> so if you want to find out more about that, if you want to download the tool and use it, that's uh, activatedauthors.com forward slash matrix. Um, or you can see all the free resources that are now growing on that list at activatedauthors.com forward slash free. <laughs> <laughs> Very on the it. nose. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. Do we have, um, before we kind of dive into the meat of um, this episode, do we have an episode coming up um in regards to just like mental health and stuff i can't remember not a specific one um okay. to be honest and this is for people honestly transparently behind the scenes uh we are planned for the next three episodes so it's something that i need to look at this week as to what the next few blocks are going to be like because we're going to start bringing on some guests for one of our limited series as well yeah we are which will be a lot of fun okay, cool. um, just but yeah, no, we talk about yeah it will definitely be on the agenda at some point um When's Mental Health Awareness Week? Ah. Cool. I'm always aware of my mental health, so I don't really pay attention <laughs> to the vanity weeks. <laughs> okay, into the question. What is the question, Sam? The question is, how do you edit? How do you self-edit? Mm. Mm. Well, so, uh, how do you edit a book? How do you self-edit? What, what does the editing process look like? Well, first of all, I'd just like to say, I think this is an incredibly important question because this was the very first question I ever asked you. Uh Uh-huh. It's one of the big questions I get asked a lot. Yeah. Because, so the first time I ever spoke to Daniel's face via a a webcam um, was back in 2020. And it was at the end of one of the first um, 
sprints for boot camp. Mm -hmm. um, and I have this thing, uh, call it anxiety, call it um, whatever you want, vanity, I don't know. Um, that like, when someone asks, does anyone have any questions? I can I can wait happily for about maybe 2.1 seconds before I start to itch that no one has any questions. Mm -hmm. um, but I always have questions. So I wait that long because I don't want to be that person that's like swallowing everyone else up because I'm just asking the questions. Um, but yeah, that was the question I asked, like, how do you edit? Because we're, we're told how to first draft, right? Mm -hmm. Sit your ass down, put your fingers on the keys and just go go until you get to the end like don't look back don't edit as you go mm -hmm. don't do any of this stuff just just go and that feels wonderful and liberating but then the problem is when you get to the end there is a you've got a big old mess and you can edit a mess you can't edit a blank page but it is difficult and I think the first thing really to tackle is putting it down mm -hmm. <laughs> so like the very first step of typing the end is do a little dance. <laughs> go, go get a drink. Sit in the bath with a pizza. Yeah, time. you do you. Like whatever, <laughs> whatever you need. Um, because the truth is, obviously, you've been labouring over this. But then I think it's about taking it a stage at a time. Mm -hmm. And when you've never done it before, it is so overwhelming. And you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And it is huge. It's it's like, you know that game, card game, 52 card pickup? Mm -hmm. The joke where you're like, have you ever played 52 card pickup? And then like the poor naive person's like, no. And you just like lob a deck of cards in the air. And you're like, pick them up. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what editing's like. But it's like 5,000 card pickup. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think you take a break. And then you have to take it first of all like a page at a time um but also if you chunk it up into the things you're editing so like there's no point trying to line edit as you're going through you know what i mean mm. and you also need to know what you're editing so take a break read it through like cover to cover start to finish make notes if you absolutely have to but don't touch the actual manuscript itself. I, for me, I think. Um, and then the first thing you need to do is like make it make sense. Mm -hmm. I think. What about you? I don't want to go through like all of my like five hundred steps of how I have edited. What What's the first thing you do when you edit something? No, I think you're you're tackling it perfectly. I think um, putting it down is is huge. Having having some or putting some distance between you and your work is massive like I have done it before where I've written a book and then I've gone straight into edits um and you know you can make it work but I think in the beginning you definitely want to put it down for a week two weeks at least just to let your brain mellow go into other things because when you come back you come back with a different eye and that's the very important thing first drafting like you say is a very specific uh zone of your mind whereas self-editing you have to get much more critical and you have to look much yes. more analytically at what you've written and it's a bit more um arguably cold and passive yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Put some put some distance between you and the work. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I in my notes I've put start big. Like you know, what I generally do is I will put my draft onto a different device to read. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I use BookFunnel to put my manuscripts onto my Kindle so I can read the story through as if I'm reading a real book, um, which it's all it's all really is mindset stuff. It's really, really powerful that when I'm working on Word, I know that I'm like, well, when I'm working in Scrivener, I know that I'm drafting. When I'm working in Word, I know that I'm editing. And so if I'm reading on the Kindle, my brain goes, I'm reading. And so it will mm-hmm. spot a lot more things as a reader rather than as a writer or an editor. Yep. Um, so that's what I do. I'll go through, I will read the whole thing. I might sort of tap on it, make some notes, like just general thoughts and things, as you say, like not changing anything, um, which is a good thing about putting on another device. Some people print it off and read through it, like do that scribble and, and do bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, you have to, you have to start with the big stuff because if the story with a big S is not in place, like mm-hmm. lines don't matter. Like I've, I've done it before, especially early on in the beginning. I think it's a very easy mistake because you don't know how to do it where you're just like going over the same lines again and again and again. And then you realize you don't need these lines because that chapter doesn't make sense. Yeah. And you've essentially wasted that time. Mm-hmm. And I will very, very quickly add that like how we're talking now comes from a bit more experience in self-editing like when I first self-edited I just rewrote the thing side by side 17 times allowing my brain to get more familiar with the story and trying to like detect bumps as I was going Mm -hmm. but this is certainly how I approach it now so yeah work like read through it make notes just to see how the story feels because at the end of the day we've spoken about this before like story with a big s is where it's at like if the four bits aren't in place if there's no villain if the hero isn't strong enough if there's no sort of critical reason for the the hero to be doing anything mm-hmm. none of it matters like is the story rising in tension is the end resolving whatever it is at the beginning all these kind of core um points of structure if they're not there it like none of it matters so start no. big stuff and identify what those are yeah and i mean you'll have probably heard dan say this before but like readers will forgive almost readers i mean look there's trolls everywhere but like like a genuine reader that is picking up your book to enjoy it um will forgive like the odd spelling mistake but you know huge kind of unresolved storyline issues are something else like you know i've often read a book and there's a small typo and it'll catch me for a second but Mm -hmm. by the end of the book i couldn't tell you what it was where it was or any of that but i can tell you exactly how that book has made me feel yeah so, yeah, I think the first thing you really need to look at is um, story and and just, you know, does it make sense? So I'll give you an example. When I was um, going through Air to the Universe for the first time, which is my uh, work in progress, <laughs> there were quite a few times where, like, one of my um, main characters was um, in the scene, in my head, <laughs> um, and then I'd read it and I'd be like, where the fuck did Memnon go? Memnon's supposed to be there and 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 it's like it would it would read like you know Astrid Memnon walked and then Astrid's having a conversation and apparently Memnon is just quite happy to just sit there during like a six page like dialogue about something crucial that they definitely know something about Mm -hmm. and just I don't know look at the sky yeah yeah. (laughs) so it's it's about um, like noticing those things um, and and just like I I will I will make notes like again on that first thing through or like use the square brackets kind of thing because I think the problem is if you start to make changes too early, mm-hmm. it then it can really change the course of the story. So 
the thing is, is you can't hold a whole book in your head, sure. But what you can do is you can make the big points, the big note points. Okay, you know, this needs more attention. And then when you get to the end of it properly and you can look at the notes, just give yourself a little bit of time to digest that. If you, um, if you, if you prefer to write your first draft in like the planning mode, then get out however that is for you so for me it's post-its and pictures and all that kind of thing and just work little scene scenarios that that can help fix that or or rework a scene and then for me I like opening a separate document to if I have like complete chapters or like huge important scenes that I need to either write or like really rewrite mm-hmm. I will do it in there um, just because then I don't feel the pressure of it has to match this or it has to match this. I can just, you know, I can make do those big pieces. So once I've kind of got got that done and those huge pieces are in, the next thing um, I like to look at is characters. Um, I'm just making sure that, like, each character that I have in there, as in, like, a secondary um tertiary you know characters because you kind of you're you're focusing on your main character like through the first draft so hopefully most of that's done but like do all the secondary and tertiary characters are they relevant do they need to be there and if they do do they have a separate voice are they there for anything other than um like pushing the story does it feel like they're just there to push the story does it feel like they're plot devices because I hate that yeah. as a reader I'm like oh god like mm-hmm. so then I'll go through and I will work each of my characters to make sure that they sound different and separate and that's something I got from you I remember you giving me that tip like character voice is important so mm-hmm. like make that a thing yeah. um yeah what about you yeah I'm, I think yeah <laughs> no absolutely so yeah look at those sort of big pieces get all those big puzzle pieces moving um, and then it's a case of, and I'm, again, this is very, very different if you're brand new versus when you've kind of been doing this for a while. Um, but just start chipping away at the story, start making those tweaks, start looking at, like you say, Sam, just is this character necessary? Can yeah. you combine to another character? Look at sort of like the big plot points, is your world feeling real? Um, and one little tip that I've got for this is that when I first went into self editing, the first time I would sit down with a book that is very close to what I was trying to emulate. Let's, let's mm. be honest. Like we're not writing this from scratch. Like we're, we're influenced by people. Um, and I would spend <clears throat> five, 10 minutes before an editing session and before a writing session as well, but before an editing session, just reading through an author that I loved that was close to what I was trying to write so that I could kind of try to capture some of their tone, try and like, see if I can like absorb some of it through osmosis, look at paragraph structure, how sentences and things worked. Um, I wouldn't get that deep into fixing all that stuff yet, but like as you go through, just try and like smooth some of the story over. Mm-hmm. Because what then comes next is, <laughs> I one of the one of the things that scares people the most. So you've looked through, you've made your notes, you've done some big structural changes. Maybe you've combed through again and like sort of tweaked things and tidied things up. My next bit of advice mm-hmm. that I would say without argument, like fundamentally give it to someone else yep 
because what I see a lot of is people that are so precious about their story, arguably so, like they're, they're terrified of all the work they put in, like being crushed, um, is spending hours and hours and weeks and days and days and weeks and months and years spinning over the same story to get it, quote, perfect before they then give it to a reader. Yep. Often they'll give it to the wrong reader. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll go into that in a second. But putting all that work into then give it to a reader who will then go, well, this doesn't work. And it's a very, very big structural thing. For me, I want to know before I've put in all of the effort, all of the finesse of like polishing the story, the lines, like character dialogue and everything else, that the story, capital S, works. And so as a perfect example, I wrote the first draft of The Nowhere Line before Christmas um, and I handed it over to you to have a read through. Mm-hmm. It's very, uh, it's deliberately quite poetic. It's very sort of dense in what it is. Um, it's, it's lofty. It's very, very lofty. It's very verbose. <laughs> <laughs> it's so purple. <laughs> it really like it. it all, it's all gorgeous. That's what it is. Um, so I know that someone like you, who is you know dealt in poetry, but also has read some of my other stuff, mm-hmm. um, a very, very good reader for that. And so what I wanted from that wasn't like line by line what works there's a typo here grammar uh, grammatically this doesn't work yes you're looking for a proofreader anyway don't hand it to me (laughs) (laughs) but i just wanted to know that the story with a capital s worked yeah Uh, because again if that doesn't work none of the rest matters it's like Mm -hmm. building a house with a really shit structure like there's no i don't know columns and beams like just the the actual frame of the house is made of i don't know swiss cheese but Mm. then you're, you're worrying about like a lick of paint in the corner yeah and it's like, mate, as soon as it hits 29 degrees, your house is going to fucking melt. Maybe don't worry about the paint right now. If it lasts till the heat wave, I'm hungry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, it's true. Like you don't, you don't worry about all the little stuff until the big stuff's in place. So again, no. that story, I wanted feedback on structurally, whether it worked, like certain things, did I go too far? Does this fit with this? Does this make sense? And then once that feedback comes back, I can then comb through it and go, okay, I can confidently start polishing this story yeah Um, and so before we go into that part let's talk a little bit about the right reader what does the right reader mean so yeah this is really important I think um and I I think there's two parts to this and the first part obviously is the right reader is someone that when you put this out into the world the right reader to like beta or critique or whatever is someone that would walk into a bookshop, see your book, pick it up, buy it, and take it home and read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that person probably isn't your Auntie Linda. Mm-hmm. It's n- not likely to be like your partner or your mum. Like maybe it could be, and like there's an exception for every rule, but in the most part, you're looking for readers that love the genre and subgenre of what you are writing. I know there are some people that will only give it to other writers. Mm. Um, and that's fine as long as, again, those writers are like n- like readers of the thing. Because, you know, like I could write, I don't know, I could write um, a fantasy romance. And I mean, I, I, it's very likely that I would, but I could um, and then hand it to Dan to read. Um, and great. Dan, you know, would be able to tell me like, yep, yeah, it's got good rise in action. This is this. But as someone that isn't a like voracious reader of fantasy romance, there's going to be so much in there that either Dan would get wrong in the feedback 
mm-hmm. because like he wouldn't understand that th- these are conventions of that genre that need to be there um or that he would miss because he doesn't understand the conventions of the genre and what needs to be there so you really need to if you're writing romance you need to give it to romance readers because if you've missed a beat they will tell you <laughs> they will be like this this you know this isn't great but if you're just giving it to someone um because you're scared mm-hmm. to give it to other people or like it's easy to hand it to like your best mate or whatever yeah you're it might feel easier in the moment but you really are cheating yourself and more importantly you're cheating the reader because you you're not getting that valid feedback and the second type of person that you want to give it to so they have to fulfill the first criteria for it to actually be valid um and really try and get more than one person if you can like just a few people like at this point if you're just looking for main like plot points and stuff and it's not like a full like beta kind of thing like it doesn't have to be an army of people and let's be honest most of us who are like just starting out just trying to figure out where to find these people is its own thing um but what's really important as well is that the people that you give this to need to not be complete and utter assholes and by that I mean they need to give you constructive (laughs) feedback without being dicks about it because rightfully so your creation at this point is at a very tender point like you have put a lot into it you know you've you've spent a long time if especially if this is your first like work you'll have spent a long time on it you you've just you know you're just figuring out you're you're getting your feet wet all the rest of it the last thing you need is to hand it to someone that is just going to basically crush your um confidence as a writer so i mean i would argue that when you give these people things if you've got some kind of like form or just like points to help them because most people will either want to stroke your ego or on the opposite end of the spectrum, if there are souls, just rip it apart. And neither of those things are helpful. Neither of them are. So like, if you've got a couple of points, like um, where did you like want to put it down? Or like, who was your favorite character? Why? What was the most exciting moment? Was there something that you felt like wasn't necessary? Things that like are going to be helpful in the development of it. So just make sure like, like I say, it's a reader of the genre. And if, you know, if, if you can get specific niche subgenres as well. So like, you know, fantasy is a huge genre, horror is a huge genre. So like, um, you know, cosmic horror and splattergore horror, two very different things. So well, you... let's, let's quickly like, put that in perspective. Like I've, I've been writing horror for mm-hmm. what is coming up to eight years now. Mm-hmm. And I've just discovered my niche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So just trying to find someone that, reads in your genre and specifically kind of the subgenre you're reading um is important and I'm going to hand over to Dan because I think Dan probably will have um potentially some tips of where to find these people because I think that is honestly one of the biggest stumbling blocks Mm -hmm. because it's it's fine and easy for me and for you to sit here and be like it must be a reader but you know like if you're if this is your first novel and you're kind of sat in your room by yourself in the dark writing away terrified to tell anyone about it like where do you find these fucking people Dan. before before i get into that i do want to say that like i come to these episodes and i put like a few notes and i'm like oh yeah this will last around like 
15 20 minutes of discussion and then we get into it and i'm like no no it's met me right <laughs> not just you but like the subject itself like yeah it's huge um just again to like quickly touch on a couple of points um that you mentioned like yeah the readers really do need to know the tropes of what you're trying to mm-hmm. trying to write um i've had people hand me short stories before um because i used to offer like a short story editing service <laughs> and they've said like oh this is a horror story i'd like you to edit it because you're a horror author and i've read the story and gone this isn't a horror story like it has a bit of murder in it that's not a horror story um it's it's a thread of suspense let's be honest mm-hmm. um and you're right like i will read uh I, I've, I've read books that aren't in my genre and i've said specifically to people i can give you the structural elements of what a story contains but i can't like don't yeah. take the word as gospel give this to readers in your genre mm-hmm. like I can help you with putting up the tent but like someone else needs to make the walls out of swiss cheese um <laughs> I don't like Swiss cheese. I don't even know where it's coming from. Because well, uh, you can, you, it's got its own built-in windows. It does. It's perfect. Like portholes on every wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, if it floods, you're absolutely screwed. Yeah. But yeah, it really, like so much of this comes to mindset. And what I'm about to say will play into how to find the readers. Um, but what we have to accept is when we're, when we're learning to write, we're not a finished product. No. And in order to effectively grow as a writer you have to have a growth mindset and this is where a lot of people struggle because rightly so like the first time you write a story it's delicate it's precious like you say it's very very fragile which is why I said it's quite difficult to give your story to a reader earlier mm-hmm. because you're like but I haven't shown everything that I'm capable of if you can get confident in the stuff that you don't know or the mm-hmm. fact that you don't know stuff that yeah. is the fastest way to grow because by giving an unfinished story to five or six like good readers getting feedback to know where your your gaps in knowledge are yeah there's no better way to grow as an author um and i will quickly um add on to that as well like it doesn't open that so i'll go into um how to find these readers so the first one would be to hire a developmental editor Mm -hmm. um and so one of the tricks that actually i had no idea of but this was given to me by pan in our community which was fucking genius yes i I didn't think of this before really Um, was actually if you've written a book that's say i don't know 60 100 words um and you want to get just useful feedback but you know that a developmental edit rightly so is going to cost a fair (laughs) bit of money like they can cost upwards of like 500 to a grand to a grand and a half yeah depending on how much yeah what you can do is go and approach the developmental editor and say, look, if I give you the first 5,000 words of my story, can you give me as much information as possible about my writing? And obviously the the editor themselves, they're not gonna give you the full structural framework of your story works, but they're gonna give you some really good tips on the things that you might potentially be lacking and need to grow and the stuff yeah. that you do well within that 5,000 words. Like as it's an editor. A good, sorry, I was just gonna say, it's a good sample length to figure out things yeah. that like, you know, like crutch words and stuff, and yeah. and and it's not gonna kind of it's not gonna just steal money from your wallet. So no. if if you are worried about putting it out to just real life readers, then that's that's a way to go. Obviously, as I say, you're not gonna get the full structural frame, but you are gonna get some idea on what you do well. Um, but in terms of finding readers, like I I generally over time I've accrued um a group of very dedicated readers that do read my work. Excuse me, and give me give me feedback and and help, um and honestly it was just a case of for me growing my list um which is very very difficult to do but coming back to that mindset of wanting to grow and just wanting to put stuff out there there are floods of facebook groups there are websites reading groups where people you know love reading um 
even locally there'll be reading groups that work on certain books and things like i i started off my career in a writing group um which arguably wasn't the best for critique and feedback but it did help grow my confidence as a writer um but honestly if you just reach out to lots of potential groups lots of potential people one or two might come back and it's just those one or two that you need to begin with yeah that said like you said earlier they might not be the best reader but they will start giving some kind of feedback. Like they might not be kind about it. Maybe they're not the best, but you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the tricky thing is that like, much like every, every other part of this process, it is trial and error. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you, you can, you can find all these places where you can get uh, beta readers um, or you know people that are happy to read it and critique it so like you say you know there's lots of different Facebook groups um, there was one of what I'm trying to remember what the service was um, one of our members was talking about it that is now offering um, beta readers like you can put your book up for NetGalley uh, Story Origin Story Origin, does Story Origin there we go NetGalley. Um, yeah so there are these places that you can specifically look for people but like what you just just bear in mind that it's it's in many ways the same as dating mm. like you know people will put present themselves as something and and not everyone is going to be who they present themselves as so just like as you're putting that out just just know that and know that you know this is your first book you're not going to unless you are the luckiest son of a bitch in the world you're not going to like you know stumble upon the perfect 10 beta readers like no. first no. go out even now like when I put out a new book I've got a list of I think it's about 30 um and this is when I'm doing like publishing a book and it's arc readers mm -hmm. a list of 30 arc readers and probably about 14 of those are reliable at this point it wasn't mm -hmm. originally but I always have to comb like the group and bring in new people and offer it to new readers on my list like it, they're they're not always gonna be reliable because you have to understand that people have lives and they have things that yep. they want to do and they're not always going to be tied into delivering something for you for free all the time and a book is a big thing a book is a huge thing um, yeah especially if it's one hundred fifty thousand words if, mm -hmm. you're, if you know who you are <laughs> <laughs> but um you've mentioned a couple of times as well like this idea of a critique partner which i think mm -hmm. is powerful and lots of people have which acts as this sort of beta reader so a critique partner is another writer within your genre preferably mm -hmm. um who you exchange that kind of service with. So you'll yeah. read their work, they'll read your work, you give mm -hmm. um, criticism and things back. And that could be a very, very useful way because you're giving the book to other writers to assess who are also readers of that genre. Yeah. Um, and again, like specifically look for someone who reads that genre, mm -hmm. not just a writer in general, because again, writers will know the structural framework. They won't know the tropes and all the nuances of what your genre is. And readers are of a different breed to writers. Yes. So if you can get both bits of feedback, awesome. But yeah. I always prioritize reader feedback because that is who I'm trying to reach. And if yeah. I'm not a reader, that I failed as a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. Like, just again, if, you know, if they're not in your genre, they're going to miss so much. Yeah. They're, they're going to miss so much, or they're going to critique stuff yeah. that isn't relevant because, you know, people that, read um let me like people that read thrillers for example um aren't going to enjoy like the slow lazy pace of i don't know like a, a summer cozy mystery that like starts off like you know they're not going to enjoy that because they're used to bang 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 and they will critique it for that 
think. And if you take that and run with it, then when you release it to people, I mean, I'm saying cozy. I have no fucking clue what the tropes are. But I'm just so like, again, take this with a pinch of salt. But like, you release it to your actual readers, and they're like, "Why is this so aggressively fast? Like, where's the cute dog? Where? Why didn't the person get killed with an icing bag? I don't understand." <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, we might have to do like. It'll, it'll be a lot of the same information, but just a whole separate one on like the readers, finding the right readers. Mm-hmm. Um, but back onto mindset. One thing that I do suggest to people that uh, I see come across, and this is very, very difficult, especially when you're sort of much more green to writing. Um, when trying to find readers, imposter syndrome will rear its ugly head. Mm-hmm. You are writing a book, you are stepping into an arena in which you have no qualification, no verification, no like validation. Um, this is going yeah and one of the things i see a lot of people do is like well how how do i reach readers when i'm like it's my it's my first story um and the advice i give is that readers don't give a shit like they don't care if it's your first story they don't care if you're 20th they just want a good experience Mm -hmm. and if you think of it from a reader perspective rather than you as a writer because as a writer you're going like well my writing's not up to scratch why should i give it to anyone as a reader they're going oh my god like i might get to read the birth of a new author or you know i might get to like read a brand new story while it's being constructed like for a reader that's fucking massive yeah like readers want to be a part of the process and Mm -hmm. so i often tell people not especially and this is specifically for self-publishing as opposed to publishing yeah, um, yeah, yeah i tell people not to announce that they are a debut author or not that it's their first book like mm-hmm. this is my first book can you please read it what is very different is going like i'm writing a new book mm-hmm. you like to read it because that insecurity of saying this is my first book is you justifying to yourself that you're kind of like it's it's accounting for any of those mistakes that might come as a new author that might not even be there it might all be in your head um if you're traditionally published obviously like debut author is huge because they're announcing a new author to this massive like arena whereas as a self-pubbed author like it sounds like trickery it's not it's just negating that part that is your imposter syndrome as opposed to the reader experience because Mm -hmm. a reader's never going to pick up a book like the amount of books i've picked up and been like hmm is this their first book no i don't care like is this a good book is Mm -hmm. all so when trying to find new uh, readers uh beta readers any of that stuff like do try and avoid being like this is this is my first ever book do you, do you mind like trying to get just say like i have a book yeah would you like to read it and i can like i'll give a very crass metaphor um <laughs> or example of this which which hopefully will make sense so um if people watch any kind of like x factor britain's got talent anything like that right you know 90% of the time before that person starts singing or whatever thing if they're going to be like good or not because based on your comfort level of them walking onto the stage right like and it is an entertainer's job when they come onto the stage to make the audience immediately comfortable mm-hmm. and that's not about how they feel about themselves that's about them honoring their job and looking after the audience so when someone walks on and they look confident and everything you can breathe out you can sit down you can relax and you're going to be like this is going to be good yeah right um it's the same thing so saying like i'm working on a new book do you want to read it is walking on stage confidently Mm -hmm. like saying um so i i'm I'm trying this thing (laughs) 
<laughs> at writing and it's like it's my first it's it's, it's my first time um of it. so you know there's it's probably going to be mistakes and things but it would really mean a lot to me actually if um do you do you might like going in like that is is you know you're walking on onto stage you're making excuses before you start and the audience is tense and yeah. they don't want to look at the stage it makes them feel very uncomfortable because they're aware they're about to witness something that is not going to be great and mm -hmm. even if that person walking on and is nervous and is about to start singing with a voice to rival Christina Aguilera which I doubt um <laughs> it's like it's going to take a while for that audience to warm up to it yeah because they're too tense so it is it's important to to give that right energy you'll do that's part of your job yeah and you're not like, you're not like there's um the there's a moment in what is arguably now quite a problematic film um beyond the sea which is about the it's a it's a biopic about bobby darren's life um played okay. by kevin spacey let's ignore that part <gasps> but there's a part in that where his kind of as his career has gone on his like hair starts thinning he gets older he gets out of the game for a bit and he tries to come back and he's sat on stage and he's playing guitar and like he's just kind of like you know again balding hair just like kind of in shabby clothes just and people are basically booing and laughing at him and then um one of his relatives just he's like why why did it suck so bad and one of his relatives come on and just go like because people hear what they see mm. and so he does the song again in a different place but this time he's actually made an effort he's put a suit on like he is the old version of himself and people fucking love it and it's kind of that principle you're not you're not lying you're not hiding anything you're just saying like i have a book mm -hmm. like be if you want to be a writer choose to be a writer because no one else is going to give you that permission and, and yeah. start um we should probably like <laughs> crack through the rest yeah let's move on so <laughs> so we we talked about like breaking it into it's like bigger components first so make sure the story works like tackle that yeah characters all those kind of big meaty parts that make the story what it is wow. and then you give it to people and then when you get that feedback, then you act on the feedback. Now, acting on the feedback does not mean that you do everything that they tell you to do. It means that you look for common themes. Mm -hmm. um, and if you are like fortunate enough to say to have found 10 people and they all say the same thing about like midway through, I don't know, act two, this didn't work for me, then look at it. If one person says it, then like, you, you can look at it but you know at the end of the day it's your story do you agree with it do you disagree with it so you take that feedback um and you work it into the story um you take the feedback i do know writers that like they'll get a lot of feedback from from things that from things from readers that have like a very common problem and they'll just mm -hmm. go ah but they don't get it it's like no no like if yeah they don't and that's a problem if nine <laughs> of ten of your readers have gone like this yeah. is good for us what's the point in asking them if you're not going to take that feedback yeah put you like it's difficult but put your goddamn ego aside mm -hmm. like yeah i mean we had um, a, a talk last night on a project that uh we're working on where one guy um basically suggested something that a listener had told him and rightly so the question was asked well how many people have said this and it was mm -hmm. like one it's like well we're not changing it then yeah <laughs> like let's and, yeah. unless lots of people have this problem mm-hmm Forward. and you know with the the other stories podcast we've we've had like 10 million downloads now over um the last six years um and there have been a few times where one person has been quite vocal and said like we need to change this and then we've looked at the bigger picture and gone like no one else has been mentioning this just because you have a loud voice doesn't mean you're right no and and the thing is like you're always going to get that thing the more people see something the more you're going to get like 
people's opinions and it's 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 just knowing the difference between someone's opinion their personal preference and like a a trend of you're not serving um your audience in this area annoyingly if people are happy they're often quiet <laughs> yes <laughs> yes yes that is very true yeah. um yeah so you take the feedback and you implement it in the way that is helpful to your story mm-hmm. um and then i mean at that point I would argue that you're kind of like once you've worked it, you've got readers' feedback, all the rest of it. I would argue that it's a good time to get kind of a little bit more granular. Mm-hmm. I mean, have I missed a step? Obviously, you are much more. No, I. Uh, so I think um, I think the reason most of the episodes contained has gone into the story and the finding the readers because they are the biggest points of the story. Again, like yeah. if the framework isn't in place, like the rest of it doesn't matter. Once. The readers have come back with feedback and once you kind of know roughly what to implement i mean i will say it's never easy to know specifically how to tweak a chapter or how to put in whatever it is um that a reader has given you as feedback um it it, it just comes with time and experience which is an annoying thing to say um but obviously like you say you kind of get a bit more granular you start to look at like the paragraphs um a bit more of the sentence structure and try and look more at like um like dialogue and things mm-hmm. um and then your final pass, I I, I love, um, I think it was Luke that, that said this to me, but like the final pass is poetry. It's where you like sprinkle in all the nuances. That's when you start to get really granular on word choice. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that is broadly the view on how to edit. You go from the big stuff and you work your way down. What we haven't specifically mentioned are the different levels of you know paid editors. We've mentioned developmental Ooh. edits, um, which are obviously very, very useful um and you know this goes down to your budget level when I first started writing I didn't have a lot of money for editing so I didn't I didn't have editors like I self-edited my first book I put that up when I was on my first novels that was with Luke so back and forth we had each other to critique and to help and we did use beta readers we used a proofreader um but we didn't have any of those kind of editors but also I will mention that I worked as an editor and a copy of proofreader for a few years so I have a little bit of that background um, in terms of the levels of paid editors you can use along the way, developmental editors, if you can afford one, are a fantastic place to start, especially once yeah. you've that first draft and you've kind of potentially polished through some of the story points. A developmental editor, um, I don't think that the further on in your career you go, I don't necessarily think you always need one. Um, I think start with one to learn all the things that you need to learn. And then, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to use one in the future to top up and to keep learning, like absolutely. But I don't think it's always necessary. Um, which is a very controversial thing to say in today's um, writing economy. Uh, you have line editors who will go through your story sort of line by line and look much more um, abstractly as how sto- how the story relates, again, with a capital S. So they'll make sure that your lines flow and that they're achieving, you know, the theme and the tone and all the nuances of conflict and resolution that you're after, making sure the tension is growing. Um, your line editor will sort of look a bit more closely than a developmental editor who focuses more on structure and things. Mm-hmm um your copy editor now this is um something that people get confused about because you have line editing you have copy editing the line editing as i say is the more stylistic um abstract focus on story a copy editor's role traditionally is to prepare a manuscript for a typesetter mm-hmm. it's the person that formats your book so if you go back to sort of the way publishing was a copy editor and this was a lot of what i did for um, non-fiction journals you'll look through you'll catch typos you'll catch sort of like clunky sentences weird word choices 
Um, if you're working in nonfiction, you'll fact check, you'll make sure that everything fits within a house style and mm-hmm. you'll mark up a manuscript so that a type setter can just go like H1. Okay, this needs to be a big edit, like kind of like with um, if you're into coding and things like the different codes, tags, um, a typeset will then go through and, and do that. So that's kind of what copy editing is. It's very much more flat and focused on the final print version as opposed to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like the the invisible step that we don't need to talk about too much then comes into formatting and that's when your proofreading comes in because i know a lot of people who proofread and then they'll format but mm. the point of the proofread is to be the final vanguard against bad yeah. you do not touch no once a book is proofread it is done step away sandra you need to done so don't yeah. waste your money proofreading when you're halfway through a story please please it no. is the final go-to step um but that's that's broadly the way through developmental line copy edit typesetting and proofreading and then you have yourself something of a finished story but yeah at the bulk of it start big work your way down don't worry about word choice in the beginning at the end your story should be in place that you can just focus specifically on the word choice and i love i love the final pass because the final mm. pass really is like how do i make this flow how do i make this poetic how do i like show off language and all that kind of stuff yeah but that's a, a broad roundabout circuit into how to edit. Yeah, I just want to, it just, it occurs to me that like, number one, this episode is long. Uh, so I'm going to try and be, as it should be. I'm going to try to try to be brief-ish with this. <laughs> but number two, obviously this is, you know, how you edit. And we've, we've talked through the different kind of steps and all the rest of it. But I think if you if this is your very first time and we've said so you know the first thing you need to like focus on is the big things you might still have that question yet of like cool how uh-huh. um so if this is of any use to anybody when i when i looked at my manuscript for the very first time there were a few things that um i focused on and so things like is this scene that i'm looking at right now can I tell, like, as a reader, where it's set? So, like, grounding the scene. So is it, you know, do I know where in the world, worlds, wherever it is? Do I know what time of day it is? Do I know what the weather is? Do I know if they're inside or outside? Um, Like, do I know the point, like, of this scene? Does it drive the story? Does it drive the characters? Just asking these kind of questions, you know, do did the character who you know was instrumental in the last scene and they had um you know something very important to say did they get to say it in this scene just just things like that to start with are helpful because it is huge and it does feel very overwhelming but the truth is you can't edit a manuscript in one like go you have to take it page by page and so if you can ask yourself those kind of simple questions um and there's lots of like different um there's lots of different books and resources and things that w- that will help you um especially if it's your first time through just kind of trying to figure out these things but i really do think the most important things to ask yourself are like is the scene grounded does the reader understand like where when how why all those basic things of the scene um are the people in the scene are they all necessary and if they are do they all contribute as they should in that scene? 
Um, and what is the what is the scene or chapter's like main objective? Why did you write it? Like when I plan out, I literally have that written. It's an actor thing. <laughs> What's my motivation? I need to know what why that is there. Yeah. Um, and so either you've already got that, like say if you you know your first draft, you've been planning planning it through that way. You either already know why you want that scene there. And in which case you can check that it matches and that it's delivering what you want it to. Or you can think, okay, what is the point of this? <laughs> Luna's on a little dance in the she background. Is, she is loving she's loving so cute. She's been rolling on the sofa and now she's stretching. <laughs> um, or just have a little think like, okay, what is, what's the objective of this chapter? Why, why is it relevant in the story? If it is relevant. Um, and then when you know that it's easier than to, to, to go through that and figure out like does it need to be bigger does it need to be smaller um and when you know the point of each of those scenes as well you know if you need to add stuff yeah. you, need, you know if you need to add extra scenes in um so i would say that's just just if this is your very first go at it and you're you know you're not quite sure just just start with those basics of you know of, of yeah. the things i've just said i mean yeah, have i, I would... anything that no, I mean, I would use, because um, I use Scrivener to write, I would go into what they call corkboard view, where you basically have each chapter appear as like a little post-it on the corkboard. And then in those notes, I will just one line, what does this scene do? Mm -hmm. I can see from a very top level, like, okay, does that add anything? And I think for me, I'm very, very visual. I'm very like motivated as I write. Like I see it almost like a, as a film in my head. And so I will kind of look at this and go, would I be bored watching this film at this mm -hmm. point? Like, like you say, does this add anything? Is this just a superfluous character for no reason? Um, and I, I very much look for um, a couple of things, which are the arcs of the characters to make sure that something's actually happening with the characters and they're not just flat. Yeah. The arc of the story. So um, looking at like sort of story structure of um, what's well, Freytag's pyramid, it's exposition, rising action, climax, falling action, and then resolution. Like mm -hmm. are those five points met and where are they met? um because a story needs to have that rise and fall mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of my starting point just to make sure that they feel like they're there and that everything at the yeah. end resolves what happened at the beginning um and that is really why it's important to sort of know story structure um like i went on a bit of a journey end of last year into sort of refamiliarizing myself with a lot of this story structure stuff because like i took it for granted that you know i've studied english for years i've studied acting um as well for years so i kind of like inherently is the wrong word but like absorbed a lot of the idea of story structure and i watch a lot of film i watch a lot of, and read a lot of books so like i kind of by that point know how a story should feel which is a very uh -huh. thing to say i get like it's just it's, it's true though like you do right like, it needs a little osmosis. bit more yeah yeah you know it needs a little mm, you know like it's just it just mm. hasn't mm. yeah oh you should you you're a designer's dream oh mate mate don't um <laughs> that's an entirely different episode but yeah yeah um and for people interested, I am working very, very slowly on a course to do all this stuff. So mm -hmm. that'll be very, very helpful for people. Um, but yeah, I think to be fair, we've packed a lot of, lot of, lot of information there. We should probably wrap up there. But I think just if I could say two things to mm -hmm. anyone to really, really like drill home some of the most effective ways to improve your writing and to edit your story. Number one, read a lot. Yep. Number two, get feedback. That's mm -hmm. it's it's terrifying like I get it it's terrifying but when you see feedback less as a criticism on you and more as a data point mm. everything unlocks because 
if you're in this for the long haul, if you want to write a book, if you want to write many, many books, you have to see that that's just a part of the, the, the process. Like you have to be able to, like it's, I don't like when people say like, I've hardened myself to criticism. It's not hardening yourself to criticism. It's just accepting that criticism isn't a negative thing on you. Mm-hmm. Positive thing to push your story forward. Only in knowing what you suck at, can you then get better at it and fix it? And again, mm-hmm. that's why I created the author activation matrix. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, that was a really good callback. It was yeah. so seamless. I fucking smooth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any last takeaways for you, Sam, on this episode? I would just say, please remember that if, especially if this is your first book that you're going through all of this process, it's going to be uncomfortable. Um, It's going to feel downright painful. Sometimes you're going to want to run away. Um, That's normal. That's part of the process. Um, And just please remember that your first book is not an indicator of your career as a writer, as Dan would say, like, you know, with any other career your first shot at something you would understand that's exactly what it is but for some reason particularly creative careers particularly writing we figure if the first book um that we put out if people are telling us that it's bad or that it sucks that we can't write that's it we're dead we can't write the end um so just just please remember that it's if, if you're wanting to do this as a as a career as you know then you need to do it as a career mm-hmm. like masters of their craft are masters because they've mastered the craft and you can't do that in one book yeah my first novel was a pile of swiss cheese um, <laughs> couple of quick resources just for people who might um mm-hmm. want to know where to find editors should they wish to um readsy.com is a fantastic resource for finding editors finding a lot of like um author services that you might find beneficial um i think it's ricardo over at readsy met a couple of times at conferences and things and is a fantastic chap doing amazing things so uh, readz.com r-e-e-d-s-y uh, yeah. and also our good friend joanna penn over at the creativepen.com has an article which basically lists a bunch of ways to find good uh, editors and that's the creativepen.com forward slash editors resources and links in show notes which they already are because i'm fucking on it in 2023 um from us just a reminder that you can get a whole host of free resources and a growing mm-hmm. library of stuff over at activatedauthors.com forward slash surprise free um <laughs> not surprise just free. Um, yeah, the author activation matrix. I've also put the self-publishing checklist on there. So if you want to just, you know, tick off the things as you do them, as you're writing your book and getting it ready for publication, mm-hmm. that's over there. Um, and I guess there's nothing else to say other than a massive thank you to you, the listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you and the time you choose to spend with us each and every week. And as always, if you're looking to level up your writing and activate your author career, head on over to activatedauthors.com to find out all about our community, our resources, and everything else that we've got going on. One more time from myself and from Sam. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Activate your energies.